0: messages, they're not on the website, Uh, that's because Meg is the person that that knows how to do that, and that's a kind of a, we need to to fix that so that there's more than one person that knows how to do that. So those messages will be up at some point, uh, but they are not up yet, and we apologize for that. Uh, We are in a season of the liturgical year that is known as ordinary time, Um, and ordinary time is anything but. Uh, Ordinary time uh, in the liturgical calendar allows the church opportunities to focus on those parts of the Scripture that we do not focus on all that often. Uh, Ordinary time allows us to dive deeply into um, passages, uh, books, uh, truths, people uh, in the Bible story that we don't often spend a huge amount of time on. We spend a lot of time on the birth of Jesus. We spend a lot of time on the death of Jesus. We spend a lot of time on the resurrection of Jesus. We spend a lot of time with Paul. We spend a lot of time with the parables. We don't often spend a huge amount of time elsewhere. Um, and so uh, ordinary time is exciting for that reason. So over the next several weeks, um, our, our sermons are not going to be in series in particular, but, but will uh, allow... Ordinary time to speak to us uh, on a variety of topics, each one uh, standing by itself. Today's we want to take a look at uh, a person in Scripture. Uh, today's message is focused around a person. Yesterday uh, was on the church calendar the feast of Mary Magdalene. The feast of Mary Magdalene. If you follow the church calendar, uh, that was yesterday's feast, feast of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala. Where? We're not 100% sure what Magdalene means. We think it's a reference to the town she lived in, which we're also not sure where that town is. There are a few options, um, including some sites in Israel that have never been excavated. Um, But we believe somewhere um, around the Sea of Galilee, uh, on the the western side of the Sea of Galilee, um, is where Mary is from she is probably referred to as Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala in order to differentiate her from the other Marys in the New Testament. Um, It's either that or she is a prominent citizen of that city, one or the other, but we think it's because there are like 400 Marys in the Bible, all right? And so we've got to be able to tell which one's which. And and so um, Mary Magdalene uh, or Mary of Magdala is referenced in the Bible. She's mentioned in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, more than any other female character, except for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, gets top billing in the New Testament, as she should. And then comes Mary Magdalene. She is referenced uh, next most often. All four Gospels tell her story, uh, and all of them tell her story in uh, a variety of ways. And we're going to take a look at um, at her story today to see what um, what we can learn and what we can know about Mary Magdalene. Unfortunately, the thing that most people seem to know about Mary Magdalene is that she is a woman of ill repute. She is a sinful woman. Um, very often the church has, has labeled her as, as a prostitute, and this is absolutely not the truth. It's absolutely unacceptable that the church has done this. Uh, so let me ask you, have you ever heard this about Mary from any source? Could be in a sermon, could be in something you read, could just be general knowledge that you've heard that Mary is somehow a very sinful woman and that that sin is somehow sexual in nature. Okay, most of you gave some kind of affirmation of that. You can blame Pope Gregory I for that, all right? And we do, rightfully. Rightfully. Uh, 591 A.D., 591 A.D., uh, Pope Gregory is preaching an an Easter sermon in which he references Mary uh, Magdalene and seems to confuse her with the Mary who washes Jesus' feet and another woman who washes Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 7 uh, who is referred to as a sinful woman. Uh, And so... uh, Pope Gregory seems to kind of combine these three characters uh, on, without warrant uh, into one person in his Easter sermon in 591. And it's not until 1969 that that gets undone. That the Catholic Church officially says, no, 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 that's not Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is not a, 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 the, the sinful woman, the woman of ill repute. That's That's 1,500 years of misinformation about this. This woman has been saddled with this for 1,500 years. And so even though we know that this is not the case, it still exists kind of in our Christian cultural consciousness. But if that's not who Mary is, who is she? If that's not who Mary is, then who is she? I want to take a look at two places in Scripture that give us our best information about who Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala actually was. One of them is in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke chapter 8. The other is in the Gospel of John. It's John chapter 20. So I want to take a look at these two stories about Mary Magdalene with you very briefly today and and see uh, who Mary Magdalene was and why it matters, all right? So, let's begin at the beginning of her story in Luke chapter 8. This is the first time that Mary uh, Magdalene is mentioned to us in Scripture. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Soon afterwards, he, that is Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, that is the 12 apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, John, those guys, uh, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their own resources. So Mary's name is listed here along with with other women, um, Susanna and Joanna, Uh, and and several unnamed women as a close follower of Jesus. We tend to think of Jesus as wandering around with just him and his 12 guys, right? That's kind of the, the mental image that I have of Jesus but the Gospels tell us that that there are these women who travel along with them. There are not just male disciples who are keeping up with Jesus, there are female disciples who are keeping up with Jesus. This in and of itself is remarkable and tells us something about Jesus and his movement. It would be almost unheard of in Israel in this time and and, and age for a, a rabbi to have female disciples, let alone allow them to follow along with his male disciples. Jesus does that. So right away, there's something that we understand about Jesus and his ministry and and how inclusive it is, Uh, not just of of these poor fishermen and tax collectors and zealots, these kind of ragamuffins, whom he chooses to be his disciples, but also of these, these women. And in this list of women, we apparently have several remarkable women, all right? They are apparently wealthy women, they have means, they have some kind of income, whether that is inherited land or income from families. Um, one of them is, is married to the steward of King Herod's household. Um, we don't know exactly what that means. It's probably some kind of, of political or royal functionary in the government, but there's, there's some kind of means. Susanna is prominent enough that she gets no description at all, it just says, and Susanna, she's just known. Uh, probably because she is so prominent in the area. Um, but Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and the others, they are not just traveling with Jesus, but they are literally funding the ministry of Jesus. They are the ones who are making it possible for Jesus and the 12 to do what they are, are doing. Um, these women are spoken of as providing for them. That's how the text reads in in this translation, but in the Greek, the word there is literally is ministering. They are ministers to Jesus and the apostles, or servants, it's the same word. It's the word that we get the word deacon from. They are serving, they are ministering to and alongside Jesus. This is who Mary is. She is someone who has been, who has been freed from a horrible, horrible uh, bondage to evil, she has had seven demons come out of her. That, I, I don't know, that sounds bad, all right? Seven demons sounds like a bad day to me, all right? We don't have any idea how long Mary was in this kind of spiritual bondage, um, how long she had to deal with this reality around her, but um, we are, are left to infer from the text that upon meeting Jesus, she finds herself freed and healed, right? Jesus is freeing people of spiritual oppression and healing physical ailments. And when she is healed, she responds to Jesus with acts of ministry and service. Let that sink in for just a minute. How do we respond to Jesus? How do you respond to the presence of Jesus? Jesus. Mary responds to the presence of Jesus in her life with acts of ministry and acts of service. She responds to Jesus with activity. She responds to Jesus by leaving her past behind and forging a new future with him. And she is not the only one who does that. We already know that Joanna and Susanna do that. The Gospels are littered with people like this. I think about Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and she gets up from her bed and begins to cook and minister and, and serve. She begins to, 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 to be active as soon as she encounters the healing of Jesus. I think about the, the Samaritan leper, when Jesus heals the 10 lepers, and they go away, and the Samaritan comes back, and he falls on his, on his uh, face before Jesus and thanks him. He responds to Jesus. I, I think about the, the gathering demoniac that Randy shared with us a few weeks ago, that story of, of the, the, the demon-possessed man. He's possessed by a legion of demons. And when he encounters Jesus and he's freed from that, what does he want? To, he goes, let me come with you. Let me get in the boat. Let me become one of your disciples. Jesus says, no, go to your own town and tell them what I have done. And he does. An encounter with Jesus results in inactivity. An encounter with Jesus results in... In ministry. I think about the woman at the well who, who has this meeting with Jesus, the Samaritan woman, who, as soon as she encounters Jesus and has this conversation with him, goes back to her town and tells them, You have got to come and see this guy. She responds with activities, she responds with ministry, she responds with service. This is how Mary Magdalene responds. How do we respond? How do we respond to Jesus? with Jesus bumper stickers on our car? We're listening to, to good Jesus music? We're wearing our, our gold crosses? And attending our church services? Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when people in the Scripture encounter Jesus, they don't respond like that. They respond with activity. They respond with service. They respond with ministry. And I I can't help but think about Jesus' words that says, whoever would be his disciple would have to deny themselves and pick up their cross and actually follow him. And this is what Mary does. Mary has an encounter with Jesus, the details of which are, are lost to us. All we know is that she's healed. And in that healing, she makes a choice to leave behind her own life, to become uh, her old life, to become a a disciple of Jesus, to follow him, to dive into ministry, to dive into service, to dive into activity. That's who Mary becomes. How do we respond to Jesus? Let's shift to story number two. Mary is probably best known for her... um, participation in the resurrection story. Mary is one of those people who is there when Jesus is crucified. Unlike Jesus' um, disciples, most of whom who fled the scene uh, in fear, Mary stays put at the foot of the cross. She witnesses the final moments of Jesus. She witnesses Jesus being taken down from the cross. She witnesses the burial of Jesus. And then she comes the next, um, the day after the, the, the Sabbath, she comes on Sunday morning, to care for the body of Jesus. Mary is the one who first discovers uh, that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. We know that story. But let's take a look at it again. This is in John chapter 20. John's gospel account of this story is unique. Uh, The other gospels say that Mary is one of several women who come to the tomb. In John's gospel, it's just Mary. John wants us to focus on Mary Magdalene He wants her front and center stage in this story. And we often minimize her. I'll show you what I mean in in just a second. So here's John chapter 20, beginning at the beginning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb, and the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and he bent down and he looked and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up. In a place by itself. Then he, uh, I'm sorry, then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their own homes. This is the resurrection story. We it happens every Easter. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you know this story. Mary finds the stone rolled away. She goes to tell the disciples the stone is gone. Peter and the other disciple, uh, we're kinda, we kind of always assume it's John, uh, they, they have a foot race to the tomb. Uh, the other disciple stops at the edge. Peter, in true Peter fashion, blows right past him into the tomb. Um, I, I almost get this, this impression of Peter, like, you know, the kind of scooby-doing, not being able to stop himself and just ends up in the tomb. Uh, Peter just ends up in the tomb, and the other disciple goes in, and they see Jesus, and they believe. And somehow, in the telling of that story... Our focus drifts. Our focus moves from the person that that the gospel wants to center, Mary Magdalene, and it shifts over to Peter and the other apostle because very often this is where we end the story. We end the story with the empty tomb and they believe and then they go to their own homes. But that is not how the gospel ends that story. Very often in our Bibles, there are really well-intentioned kind of headings throughout the pages of our gospels. They're, they're kind of in italics and they're a little bit smaller than the rest of the text. And they kind of give away what's about to happen. Everybody knows that's not original to the Bible, Right? that's something somebody else stuck in, do yourself a huge favor and start disregarding those. They break up the stories in really bad and artificial ways. Here's how the story should continue. We've forgotten about Mary, but her story's not done here. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. The gospel immediately re-centers on Mary. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him." And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, and she told them uh, that he had said these things to her. For this, for this account, Mary Magdalene has been, Uh, gifted uh, by the church over the centuries, the title of Apostle to the Apostles. She is the first one, the very first one, to be able to say, Jesus is risen, he is alive, I have seen him. She holds that distinction. And I love that the gospel comes back to us and recenters on Mary, and here's what happens. Peter and the other disciple, when they make it to the tomb and they see what has happened, we're told they believe. But then we're told that they go back home. They believe, and they go home. I got to tell you, that sounds a lot like Sunday morning to me. That sounds a lot like what I do. I believe, and then I go home. I don't know about you, but often that's kind of my religious experience. I believe, and then I go back to regular life. Mary doesn't do that. Mary refuses to leave because she wants Jesus. She desires to know what has happened to Jesus. Jesus is too important for her to be able to walk away and go home. Everything in Mary is centered on where is Jesus. And I I wonder, and I have to ask this question, is our life centered like that? Is our life centered on where is Jesus? Where is Jesus showing up? What is Jesus doing? How can I be there with him? How can I be a part of what Jesus is doing? Where is Jesus? How can I get to him? How can I be close to him? How can I be near to him? Where is Jesus? Because that's where I want to be. I don't want to go home. I want to be with Jesus. That's Mary. That's what I want. It's not often what I am, but it's what I want. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you're more like Mary than I am, and if that's the case, that's fantastic. Teach me, please. Or, or maybe you're more like me than like Mary. You believe and go home. Mary has this tenacity, this drive. She finds herself lost without Jesus. Jesus. Without Jesus, she does not know what to do. All she can think of to do is find her way to Jesus. I want that kind of drive. Mary is this this wonderful example in the beginning of her story and the end of her story in the scriptures. When we first meet her and here at the, the resurrection, which is the last time she's mentioned to us, she is this amazing example of this person who is absolutely devoted to Jesus, so devoted that that she will minister in Jesus' name. She will walk away from her previous life to become a disciple of Jesus. She will give up what she has to minister to and in the name of Jesus. She is so devoted to Jesus that she cannot think of anything else in the garden but finding him where is jesus i must know i must be near to him i want that kind of that kind of drive i want that mary is such this great example and she's not at all who we've been told that she is right we've had this picture painted of mary that is not at all accurate one of my favorite movies i watch every christmas is home alone any, anybody know Home Alone? You've watched Home Alone? You've seen Kevin uh, go to war to save his house from the, the, the best inept criminals ever on cinema, cinematic history, the Wet Bandits. 1990, Home Alone comes out with Macaulay Culkin as a child star, uh, starring as Kevin, who's left Home Alone over the Christmas holidays, has to defend his house. One of the most Uh, underrated portions of that film, and my favorite portion of that film, has to do with Kevin's next-door neighbor. Kevin's next-door neighbor, Old Man Marley. Toward the beginning of the film, Kevin's brother is talking about Old Man Marley. They're watching him through the window. He's dragging this this giant trash can full of salt and carrying a a snow shovel. And and Kevin's older brother makes up this story that says, you know what they say about Old Man Marley. He killed someone with that shovel. And he kept their body, and it's in the trash can with the salt. And of course, Kevin freaks out about this. And throughout the movie, he he encounters Old Man Marley a couple of times, and every time he just, he turns and runs, because shovel killer, until he actually gets to meet Old Man Marley in a church of all places. They end up at a church together. And he discovers when he talks to old man Marley that old man Marley is not, in fact, who he thought he was. He is not what he had been told. And he discovers that he's just a good guy. We have been told for centuries that Mary is something that she is not. Let us rediscover Mary. Let's rediscover her example and her passion, her her ministry and her sacrifice, her her tenacity and her love for the Lord. Let her be an example to us. Throughout history, the church has kind of hidden her example away and and has misrepresented her. And and honestly, that's not terribly shocking because the church has done that a, a lot throughout history. The church has misrepresented any number of people at any number of times. The church has misrepresented women as a whole group and said that that women are essentially second-class citizens in the kingdom and there's all these things that women can't do. The church has misrepresented indigenous peoples around the globe and has called them savages that somehow need to be civilized by missionaries. The church has misrepresented people with mental health issues and said, so all they need to do is pray. Forget about all of that medicine and psychology. All you really need is better faith. We have misrepresented those who wrestle with depression. We have misrepresented the homeless. We have misrepresented the poor. We have misrepresented the enslaved. We have misrepresented those with black and brown bodies, anyone who's not white, essentially we have misrepresented and we have said that they are less than what they are throughout history, why would we be surprised that we did that to Mary Magdalene too? It's the church's MO to hide people away and to misrepresent them. And maybe that's happened to you in some way. Maybe in some way, shape, or form, the church has said or done something to make you feel less than what you are. The church has done that to to women, to the young, to the old, to non-whites, to LGBTQ persons. The church has said that you are less than what you are. And if that has ever happened to you, if that has been your experience, the church ought to apologize. So for whatever it's worth, in my capacity as a minister in the church, I am sorry that that has happened. It should not have. You, each one of you, every one of us is created in the image of God and dearly loved by our Creator. Every one of us, every one of us is dearly loved by Jesus. Every one of us is called to hang on to Jesus no matter who we are. And so, if at any point in your life the church has denigrated, diminished, or marginalized you in any way, let me encourage you hang on to Jesus. Because even if the church has done that, Jesus never will. What does Jesus do? Jesus heals. Jesus calls to follow. Jesus makes himself known. That's what happens in the story of Mary. He heals her. He calls her to follow. He makes himself known to her. And listen, if, if you are hearing me say these things today and you're like, well, that's never happened to me. I don't feel like I've ever been marginalized or denigrated by the church. I'm so happy for you. That means that there is an inadvertent possibility that you have participated in that marginalization of other people without knowing it. And I'm gonna ask you, would you take some time and contemplate whether or not that's been true? And if it is, remember Mary and how she was marginalized for over a thousand years and repent. It is time for us to stop telling tales about other people that have no basis in reality. It is time for us to stop telling tales about people suffering from homelessness, people wrestling with mental health, people who just look different or sound different or from a different place than we are. It is time for us to be done with that. We must be done with that. We have to stop believing false narratives about other people without actually getting to know those people. When we get to know Mary, we can let that false narrative about her go, can't we? It's time to do that with the people around us as well. How we think about and treat people matters. How we think about and treat people matters. In the West, in the Western church, Mary has been kind of thought of for 1,500 years as the sinful Person. And because of that, even after 1969, even after the Catholic Church said, oops, we made a mistake, Mary isn't that, in the West, when people celebrate the feast of Mary Magdalene, they celebrate her as an example of repentance. For what? I would like to ask. even though we know that she is not this woman, we're still celebrating her like she is. Did you know that in the Eastern churches, in the Orthodox churches, that's not how they celebrate Mary on Mary's feast day? Because they didn't listen to Pope Gregory's sermon. They didn't know, all right? So for 2,000 years, the Eastern church, when they have celebrated Mary, they have celebrated her exactly as she is. They got to know the real Mary. And they celebrate her as an example of joy, hope, virtue, and new life. When you get to know someone, when you get to know someone, you can treat them how they really are. I love that Jesus transforms people. I love that Jesus calls all sorts of people to follow him. I love that Jesus will show himself to people who are desperately seeking him. And I love that Mary teaches us what that looks like. Let's be more and more and more uh, like Mary. Willing to follow, willing to minister, willing to long for an encounter with Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you for Mary. Thank you for your servant. Uh, one of many, one of many, many, many saints throughout history who have uh, lived their life passionately following Jesus. Father, I am inspired by, by that life. I want more of that life in my life. So Father, help me to be dissatisfied with believing and going home. Instead, like Mary, uh, help me to leave my old life, to give myself in ministry and service, and to passionately seek for Jesus until I have found him and am standing face to face. Father, help us to treat one another as we really are and not as we've been told that we are. Father, help us to see truth and treat people in truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, So we talked um, today about that call that Jesus has on Mary's life where she comes and follows, and that call is for all of us, for each one of us. And every week we come to the table because we remember that. We come to the table and we remember that we too are called we too have been freed from spiritual darkness, maybe not having seven demons cast out, but certainly having our sin dealt with. And we come to the table and we remember Jesus. We come to the table and we are seeking Jesus. We're coming to the table and we're asking Jesus be present in this, in this little bite of bread and this little cup of juice. Jesus, would you, would you be present with me? Would you be present with us? So we want to enter into our time of communion with that on our minds. And in just a moment, um, we'll come and, and receive the bread and the juice. When you do, please take it back to your seat. When everybody's been served, we'll take that together uh, as, a, as a whole community. Uh, before we come into our time of uh, communion, as we do every week, we enter into a moment of confession. Uh, this uh, confession is just a an ongoing reminder to us that we are not yet who we are called to be. There's still work to be done. There's still more for us to learn and more for us to do, and more ways for us to grow. So, if you're willing, as we approach our time at the table, would you please stand with me and speak these words of confession uh, together?